Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Today, yeah, so I'm the I'm the I'm the warm the warm up act. The warm up act, yeah. yeah. I'm going to introduce Jay. I'm the what do you call? What's the guy who talks up rap fans? <laughs> name for that? Yeah, know. there is a name for that. Yeah. Yeah. The hype man. The hype. I'm the hype man. Although neither of us are feeling very hyped at the moment because it's no. at night here. It's very late at night. Late at night. We were meeting with a friend of mine called William Crawley. He's a BBC journalist guy and we were having good old discussions, debates and arguments. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Solving <laughs> the world's problems. Yeah, yeah. I always fight when I meet William. <sighs> That's actually 600 actually right so, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah Jay said 600 <laughs> watching there again. <laughs> it's weird that lot of us. <laughs> lost the zeros from that yeah really yeah I, I had the zeros removed I don't like the ah, yeah, number zero really it's yeah. not about the numbers until no. you have them <laughs> no <laughs> they're jumping right now as yeah. we start because you guys if you want you can log off this one and log on to the talk I'm giving upstairs yeah, <laughs> yeah if so. you're on Patreon and yeah yeah <laughs> I'll let you in for free if you ditch him <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to pay to play today folks yeah yeah That's which right. we're always free pay to pray pay to pray <laughs> pay to pray <laughs> Yeah, but we're two worn out. I know. Young men. Young men. That's <laughs> right. We went to, I went to a, a bar the other night, like a private gentleman's bar. Well, a private bar um, that we were the youngest there by about 30 years. I yeah. like an old person's bar. And I was like, wow, someone who's pushing 50, it's weird to feel like the young one. It felt good. Yeah. Are you pushing 50? Yeah. Man, I'm going to be 40 soon. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what the eyes of Tammy Faye said. Yeah. I think it's always better to tend you're older because then people say you look good. If you're yeah, 30, no, that's true. You look rough. <laughs> when people lie on the dating apps, they always look. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you look really rough for 20. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your chat up line? Is that why it's not working for <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, I know. I'm going to help you with that, man. That's not the best opening. <laughs> you look rough for 20. Uh... Did why someone you, say why so? are you dating 20-year-olds? <laughs> <laughs> I think we better stop right here. Did someone say slanty? Oh, slantship. That's Irish for cheers. Cheers! cheers. Everybody says cheers, mate. You wouldn't be able to guess that said slantship from the spelling. That's Irish spelling for you. It's oh, yeah. Crazy. Irish names. You'd never be able to know how to pronounce them from looking at them. Yeah. Well, here, will I let you do your thing then? I guess so. All right. All right, what time is it here, Pete? It is about two minutes past seven. Two minutes past seven. Exactly. Bang on. One hour from bedtime. <laughs> yeah, I know. That is the truth, isn't it? Well, happy birthday, Jennifer. You're 45 today. That was a nice little um, opening from Peter Rollins. So here we are in Belfast. Uh, some of you are asking how Belfast is going. Pretty good. Um, I forgot my, my my stand, so I'm looking down on you guys today, which 
it's not always my favorite thing to do, but I'm literally, this is stacked on records and books. <laughs> and then shifted up on another book just to even leaven it out a little bit. So good evening, Revolution. Welcome. Uh, nice uh, cameo by Pete Rollins. That only cost me $500. Um, so yeah, I'm in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And me and Pete and uh, my friend Helen are working on a secret project. I've actually uh, been doing some contracts and stuff out here, getting ready to do a new endeavor uh, that Pete and I are working on and getting ready. So I came out to Belfast so we could work on it. I uh, haven't been out here in a couple years and it's very exciting. I've also got a chance to go to a few um, pubs and hang out with some of his friends and talk about theology and philosophy and politics. It's interesting to see how the Irish see our, our American politics. Um, should we be worried? Yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> when people in Northern Belfast say, you guys are a little bit split, it might be time to start worrying about uh, the direction we're going in. Um, but yeah, got some really great punk rock, Belfast punk rock albums. Um, here, my, uh, Pete's brother James is in the music industry, and so he took me on a tour uh, yesterday of Belfast uh, record stores, um, and we had a uh, smashing time, and got a lot of found a lot of great stuff, a lot of cool stuff, little fingers, and some oddities here and there, and it was great because everything was like ten pounds. So you know, I'm used to being home where everything's like. 20-something pounds, so it's really nice. People here are just great. I love Belfast, and hopefully one day I will retire here in Belfast. Now, I was kind of hoping that I was going to give you some sort of, like, big Belfast thing in the background, but um, Pete had to do his video as well, so we just both decided that we might as well do it from our friend Jim's house. So I'm at Jim's house, and this is his lovely living room. There's some cool lighting. And it looks like I have a um, escalator right there, but that's just a picture. Um, anyway, so a lot of good things are happening here, and uh, we're getting some good stuff done. And oh, I'm really excited. Hopefully in the next month or two we can announce the project we're working on. And um, it's also been really nice just to be able to have some, some time to hang out and, and uh, get hang out with Pete's family. They're really great. So here I am in Belfast, Northern Ireland, home away from home. Um, you know, if you have any Belfast questions, uh, you can, I can try to ask, answer them, but, um, but yeah, so here we are. Welcome. It's seven o'clock. I'm exhausted. I mean, literally we, we went to this market and then met with a friend of Ours from the BBC and had some really deep uh, conversations about philosophy and politics. And I am an introvert, and so those conversations wear me out. Um, so, Belfast. Um, one of the things um, I wanted to talk about, though, today is... Um, Everybody's asking if folks here in Ireland get along better. Yes, they get along much better. There's still some sex of the troubles, but not nothing really happening right now. And what's beautiful about this country 
is one, the peace process was really amazing. The Good Friday Agreement was really amazing. Politics here are very different because of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, but also, you know, being with in a community, uh, in a city of people who have lived through, I had a really great conversation with Carol, uh, Pete's mother, about the troubles. And, you know, still a lot of pain, still a lot of very deep pain from those days. Um, but being surrounded by people who've survived trauma, survived I mean, civil war, for God's sake, um, there's just a genuineness and a beauty and a kindness that comes from empathy, from surviving and from making a decision to make life better and to live amongst each other, even in our differences and finding a way to find peace. And my hope is, is that our country will do that one day as well, that we won't be so separated and uh, so divided. So one of the things I was thinking about today was our, our basically, how so many of us are focused on, you know, focused on our own causes. You know, that, that we're, we're focused on, so often get tied up into our own causes and our own, our own, uh, our own issues and our, and our own side and to the point where we too often scapegoat, and that's a word we use a lot here at Revolutions, too often we scapegoat the other. Um, and, and, and we become so focused on our own causes that we have, uh, we almost become incapable of having conversations, especially conversations that might ask questions about our own causes. But one of the things I was thinking about and I, I think I've learned that from even being here and reading a lot of different books on the troubles and things, is getting together and communicating our differences, finding ways to meet, discuss these things, and uh, work out a plan that is able to work for us all. And that's a part of being in community. And the strange thing with, with the church is, the church is, called, is the people. It's not a building. Uh, it's not a group. It, 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 I mean, it is a group. It's a group of people. It's a collective of people together as the body of Christ. And we will often have differences. And there's so many reasons why I think the Bible talks about loving your neighbor or uh, you know, loving the other, uh, caring for the other. Um, and we're going to get into all that here in a minute. But I, I think it, it's valuable to understand, like, being in a community is always messy. Uh, it's hard to find a safe space. Uh, whenever I think revolution as a safe space is the only way I think it's a safe space is if we can all learn to disagree well, if we can learn to have the tough conversations. And one of the things I see here in Belfast amongst Pete and his friends is there's been a lot of, we've had a lot of tough conversations, you know, a lot of interesting conversations. 
uh, about philosophy and theology and politics with different people. Everybody's passionate and you go to the pub and you have these amazing talks is that we're able to have these conversations and then still go out afterwards and have a nice dinner, still laugh about it, still give each other a hard time in a really loving way. Um, and even not agree on things. And it's not even where we're saying we're agreeing to disagree. We're just saying, okay, this is where we're at, but we're having the conversations that are important to us. We're hearing each other's worries. We're hearing each other's thoughts. You know, we're, we're pushing back and forth to see if there's an answer here somewhere. Where is the answer? You know, it, it just, I don't have the answer. You don't have the answer. We both think we have the answer, but then when we come together, we realize that there might be something a little bit more different, a little bit more complicated for us to be together in a community or to solve these problems or these issues. Um, and so this reminded me of, of one of my, my favorite verses in Galatians. Um, I think the heat just turned on, so let me know if it gets too loud for you guys. Um, in Galatians is... Uh, Galatians 5. In Galatians 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgences, but through joy become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in this single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, one of the things that I think is important for us to look at right now is, um, is, 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 is this part right here in 13 where it says, uh, only do not use your freedom to an opportunity for self-indulgences, but through love become slaves to one another. And often I think, you know, I've always looked at self-indulgences as like this kind of sin concept, this kind of sin idea. And, um, and, and what's interesting to me is maybe self-indulgences is not just that, but maybe self-indulgences is an indulging in our selfish needs and wants in our own causes, which causes us to put others below us or away from us. You know, so, so this idea that, that we are constantly being indulging ourselves, indulging our, our issues are the most important issues. Our suffering is the most important suffering. And so we miss out on the others who are suffering, others who are struggling, others who are going through a hard time. And so then we become a very insular community uh, that's focused on a particular issue or ideal or type of suffering, and other people don't feel welcomed within our community. And I think often, in, especially like in the 80s and 90s, the church had like these three or four things that they focused on and it kind of made it clear, like, if these are things you are dealing with or that you do, you're not welcomed. And what brings us all together is what we're against. 
And so that often puts us in a situation where we're not a true community, we're not truly open, we're not truly showing grace, and we're not truly showing love because we have this type of condition that you have to meet. And what happens is we become, uh, we talked about being at this private bowling club, which the bowling here is different. They roll balls on grass. <laughs> it's not pins. Um, but this is what we happens is we become a social club, a private social club based on our, our shared convictions uh, rather than together despite our differences. And what revolution has really struggled to do is to bring people together uh, despite their differences. Here's one of the issues that I find I struggle with a lot is that sometimes I may be showing grace to someone you disagree with. Often that happens and then you go, well, then you must be against me if you're showing grace towards uh, this person or if this person is welcome here. And it's going, no, it's not like that. It's actually maybe a little bit more nuanced or maybe a little more complicated is that we are a group of people who believe different things. I think that's what's so crazy about Jesus' disciples, if you look at his disciples, you know, you had Matthew, a tax collector, and then you had uh, the zealots in his, in his group. And the zealots traditionally were radicals who wanted to kill people who worked with the government, who worked with the Roman government. Now, to have Matthew, who was a collaborator with the Roman government, would be, we need, you know, these guys as mission in life would be we've got to kill him because he's a traitor to our own people. So even in Jesus's small group of 12, he had this conflict within his community, within his own church, if you will, of the disciples. You had people who should be enemies, people who should be against one another, called to work together and to lead this church into belief, to lead the church into reality. So, there you go. Um, you've, you, you've got to realize is that we're going to have issues where sometimes in a community like this, enemies are brought together. People who don't agree with each other are brought together. And that community can survive. If Jesus' community can do it out of 12, and they're working within close quarters and they're not killing each other, we can work in a way to learn to love one another despite our differences um, and find common ground within our humanity. But broken people and hurt people, I mean, you've heard it before, hurt people hurt people. When we come in and we're hurt and we're feeling frazzled, it can be a scary place to be. So it's not always easy to walk into that situation. So I'm not saying everybody has to do it or yeah, that way. But I think if the church is to live into its, its uh, full reality, uh, it, it will be a time for us to come together. Interesting enough, here being in Belfast, you know, you had Catholics and Protestants who were, were fighting each other, not just over Catholicism and Protestantism, but you had two groups of Christians who were having a real struggle seen eye to eye over the fact of, you know, is the government, do we want this government here or do we want this government gone? Do we want a United Ireland or do we want the UK? You, you, you had this and, and it was 30 years of war, more than that actually, I think, but it, it, was, it was horrific. 
And eventually they came along and did the Good Friday Agreement. So the reason I'm pointing this out is, is it's never easy, but it's something that I feel like we're called to do as a community of believers, of people who follow Christianity, uh, is to be a community that is diverse. I think there's a reason that the Apostle Paul made it very clear in his community, uh, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. And um, saying like, there's no hierarchy anymore. We aren't enemies anymore. Um, we are something more. We are human. We are community. Now we have a lack. We aren't who we were by, born by birth, but we are people who live in the lack. We are people who are able to be human together. Now, that doesn't mean that the person is no longer a Jew or the person is no longer a Gentile by any means. But what it does mean is, is that we put those things aside in order to be a community of believers and that we do not allow humans' ideas of hierarchy or prejudices to play in to our own communities. I mean, that's one of the reasons I became so supportive of the LGBTQ community early on in my career is because I said, this is not something that we should be fighting one another about. We should be in community with each other as fellow believers. Um, but do we have patience and can we welcome people into the community who may be questioning that because of the way they were raised and the way they were believed? believe because they were raised in a way of saying, well, this is a sin, and they thought that this is what the Bible said because in 1948, you know, uh, the New Revised Standard Version put in the word homosexual, you know, and it, it, people saw it this way, and they don't understand when sexuality actually became a concept, and they don't understand what the laws of Rome were, and all these things. So, I mean, automatically, they just heard this their whole life. But do we have room to let those people into the community who may not see eye to eye with us. You see what I'm saying? And unfortunately, I've seen in a lot of progressive communities where people have not been welcomed because they weren't willing to take the full stand or become fully affirming. And I felt that way for a time as well. But what I've realized is, is I have a better chance of welcoming someone into my community and helping them realize why it's important to be affirming, why it's important to accept the other, why it's, they see us one in Christ rather than who we are sexually or who we are uh, from birth or, or things like that, but to see us as a, a body of believers and going through a human experience. We're all going through different human experiences, but it's definitely a human experience. And if you're a human, you know life is a struggle, life is pain, and life is hard, and we all have different cards dealt to us. And we're able to come together and realize that we're all having to play the cards we've been dealt. I'll see a lot of Christians in, the LG, in my work with the LGBTQ community ended up coming around and looking at the Bible differently and were willing to talk to me, not after I convinced them with my, my deep theology, but after they got to know people in the community who were gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender. That's when they go, this doesn't feel right. Okay, well, then let's sit down and talk about it, you know. 
Now, this is a hard thing to do because we live in a society right now that is really focused on labels. It's so funny growing up Generation X where I was like, we don't have any labels. We don't want any labels, you know. And right now it seems like our society is very individualistic. It's all about who we are, what we believe, uh, what, you know, we... We aren't represented by our humanity. We're represented by particular aspects of our humanity or different belief systems or different denominations or different theology or different philosophy or political one is the big one. We're just split down the middle politically and we don't believe that we can sit together and talk and and have, have a good conversation or a good argument with politics. Now, see, to me, when I look at conservative politics and I look at liberal politics uh, and I really take a good look, I just see little differences because mostly I see a lot of people who are, are, are driven by, by gain. You know, I mean, our politicians seem to be really enslaved to capitalism on both sides. You know, you, you see a lot of these people who are like, well, they don't want to pass these drugs things. We just had some Democrats who were like, they didn't want to pass drug laws. And then you find out that like these people who were holding on who didn't want to make the drugs cheaper had been given big donations by the drug companies. Now, I'm, I, I, the reason I'm saying this is, is that we have to look at the reality of these situations and say, okay, this is what's dividing us, but we let's get together and talk about this. It's not just the Republicans that are bad or the Democrats that are bad. It's that we all fall short, we all have issues, and we probably need some, some big laws to change the whole system. We may need to just change the system completely, but that's a long road to go. And that system is not going to change as long as we continue to allow platforms like Facebook, which we're on right now, ironically, or Twitter, or Instagram, and politics, and we continue to get on here and alienate one another through these things and, and allow them to divide us. You know, we're allowing these billionaires who have all this money but aren't willing to pay us livable wages. I mean, could you imagine if we all could just fight together and say, okay, let's have livable wages and let's make sure everybody can have a full-time job and that full-time job provides rent, provides medical help, provides groceries, helps us to take care of our children. You know, and we, these things that we could agree on to make bigger changes if we all weren't sitting there going like, where's my next, <laughs> where's my next paycheck going to come from? Or, you know, what happens if I get sick and I have to go to the doctor? I'm going to have to claim bankruptcy. I mean, this is the type of the realities that we live in. Um, but somehow we think that voters and people who like on each side are how the ones causing it when realize we're just scapegoating each other because neither party is making any differences. You know, I was, uh, you know, kind of a, I've been a lifelong Democrat, and I'm looking at the Democrats right now going, saying, you guys have stopped talking about health care, and that was one of the things I cared about. You know, I'm not hearing any of you talk about it. Like, it just kind of disappeared. You're all happy now, you know, and it's like, what's going on? Anyway, but hopefully these are issues that we can come together and differ on. I have a lot of friends on both sides of the aisle, and, and I have a great time talking to both of them, especially since I feel like I'm kind of left the whole political system right now in my life is just there's certain things I want to see change and I don't know I don't depend on one side or the other to change it I think we have to make bigger changes and change laws to hold these folks accountable 
to actually serving us. And then maybe we can find out if there are genuine Democrats or genuine Republicans and then get back to having those conversations. But we should not let these people tear us apart. That's the hard thing, you know, because they, they just drive us they drive a wedge between us as humans. And that's just one thing. The other thing is hurt and pain and suffering and depression and what I talked about last week. And we all go through these personal things and we feel so guarded and so hurt. You know, and I think we have to realize one another's hurts and each other's pains. And one time when I see people come together and they're hurt and they're fighting and they're arguing, I worry because we are unable to see this person is able to see their pain because they're so hurt, and this person doesn't see their pain because they're so hurt that we're unable to come together as a community. And that's when I say right here where it says, and he goes, only do not, Paul says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. And what I'm saying is, is often the freedom that we're using is this self-indulgence of just I'm the only one who hurts or I'm the only one who has pain. And I know there's times where there's nothing that we can do about that, but I also believe we can strengthen one another. We can listen to talks like this. We can read good books. We can go to therapy if we can afford it um, and, and help each other deal with these things. But it's going to take a diverse community, not just of sex or color or ethnicity, but also a diverse community of thoughts and thinking where we can kind of come together and try to rationalize with one another. It's also going to require us to have a little bit of empathy. Um, you know, when you're in a group that is marginalized, now I understand I'm a white straight male, so I'm at the top. I, I get that. It's easy for me to say a lot of this stuff. Um, but I want to understand where you're at through conversation and through tough conversation. And I think we have to be willing to lay down our arms and have these tough conversations. But can we honestly provide a place where love is so felt that we know we can have these tough conversations? Now, I'm going to say this. If I can come to Northern Ireland and sit in a bar and watch people argue about politics, argue about religion, argue about philosophy for hours to the point where I got this little introvert guy sitting, because I'm just drinking Diet Cokes, you know, everybody else is drinking pints. I'm going, oh, and then walk out and have a laugh and have dinner. And even maybe we solved something, maybe we didn't solve anything. But the fact is seeing a community of people who've been through hell and back who are able to do it. And I'm saying, what can we learn from people like Northern, from folks like from Northern Ireland? What, what, what kind of lessons can we learn to be a community of compassion? I, I think about living in New York when I lived in New York. We're all struggling in New York. Everybody, you know, if the rich people are, are so rich, but they're still struggling to pay their bills because, you know, no, nobody lives in anything that's within their means in New York. I was kind of poor living within my thing. We're all struggling to get to where we're going. And it's funny because you kind of get this com camaraderie of the struggle of living in New York City that you're not thinking about politics. You're not thinking about sexuality. You're not thinking about religion. You're not thinking about race in certain points. You are thinking about how do I get on this train 
get to where I'm going and do what I need to do. And at the same time, you know, you have this feeling and this compassion for everybody else on the train because you're like, God, we're just trying to make it. We're just trying to live. And I think there's something about that survival mode that brings out the humanity in us to want to live, you know, and wants us to go forward and, and, and do things together and not tear each other apart. Now, this is the favorite part, not my favorite part, but it's the best part, I think, of this verse here in Galatians, is it says, if however you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. I mean, the warning there, Paul is warning us that if we continue to bite and devour one another, if we continue to argue, we will be consumed by one another and we, it will lead to bad places. I think for a lot of people, it leads to death, insecurity, eating disorders, uh, insecure, you know, only spending time with people who agree with them rather than going out because they want to feel safe, you know, and all these types of things is because they're just, you know, there's a reason people don't want to be around Christians a lot, especially if you think about Christianity in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, is it seemed like a group that just did nothing but bite and devour others who did not agree with them. And that is not a community. Jesus' own disciples were a group of people who should be killing each other, biting and devouring one another, yet they put those things, their convictions, their souls, their hearts, their identities aside to be with Christ for something that was greater and a greater good, which I literally think was humanity. How do we make humanity better? And then you think Paul goes on to take it and says, now there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no separation. And that was the biggest thing. And Paul says, we're going to make it even more inclusive. But when you build on inclusiveness and you want inclusiveness, there has to be a death of the identity. And that's not popular. I get it. I'm not going to win any awards for saying, like, I'm not saying, that, let's not even say a death of identity. There has to be that the identity is not the main focus of who we are as a community. That our community, we see each other as human beings having human experiences. So, you know, Different people are going through different things. Like, I'm a dad who has my kids 50% of the time, and I'm doing my best to raise my kids. I have a big struggle doing that. I also suffer from depression. Uh, I can often be very insecure, uh, lonely. I, I can isolate quite a bit, you know. But that also, I also need to be able to relate to, you know, my sisters who are, you know, working, trying to work a full-time job, not getting paid what they should be getting paid, you know, going through all this, you know, I need to be able to have those conversations, you know, and, and, and then my other sister who goes, oh, no, there's none of that. There's no sexism, you know, and you go, oh, really, you know, and, then they're saying this. and like, how do we sit down and talk to them? And how do I get these two sisters to sit down and maybe share a little bit of their truth and their own experiences with one another? And we don't discount one another's experiences because for some reason we live in this dualistic thinking that you think if if this discounts this, then they're both worthless. Like all of a sudden, no, I don't matter. Or this person goes, no, Austin, I don't matter. And that's just not the truth. Like, like they win, I lose. It's not about win or lose. That's why I love dialectics, is where two things that seem like the opposite can come together and be true to the point where they move a, a, above truth to get more, uh, 
philosophical or even more um, uh, like in psychology, as they often talk about these truths that are above truths, you know, the, the tr that which is above the truth. But dialectics or contradictions, that's why I love Hegel, is Hegel talks about how we have to learn to live within the contradictions because often contradictions have to coexist. And so how do these contradictions coexist? Because people are having different life experiences, you know, compared to where they live and things like that. Like even Christianity, as I was joking with Pete today about like how people talk about Christianity is such this like closed-minded religion and so judgmental and all this stuff. And I'm like, but how do you think it sounded 2,000 years ago when all of a sudden it was saying, love your neighbor, love your enemy, be kind to those who persecute you. Oh, and there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. For, you know, oh, and we're not going to fight. We're not going to be involved in war and we're going to be nonviolent. I mean, what did that sound like 2,000 years ago in a Middle Eastern context, especially with Rome dominating everyone? So you have to realize is that we all, these things are coming from different situations, different problems, uh, chaos within chaos. And what I'm saying is, is that we, by embracing contradiction, by embracing the dialectic and not having uh, uh, the, the, this, this, just this way, these two option thoughts, these, um, you know, right and wrong, we allow ourselves to enter into a community where the, it's okay for contradictions. It's okay to have a little bit rubbing against each other. It's okay to see things differently. And what may we find from those moments? What may we find from those tough conversations? Uh, I think what I hope we find is that there is not a need to write one another off. What there is a need to do is saying, we're gonna stop scapegoating each other. We're gonna stop pretending like they are bad and I'm good. We're gonna stop Believe this or not, we're going to stop judging each other. We're going to take out the judgment and we're going to realize that life is more complex than we've allowed it to be in the past. And it's not going to be this way of dualistic thinking. We are going to live within the contradiction. We are going to live within the conflict. We are going to live within the dialectic. One of the things that changed my life is a, a therapy that is called dialectic therapy. DBT, Dialectic Behavioral Therapy, where you literally have to learn to embrace the dialectics of the opposite, sometimes being true, to survive. And that's how I learned to deal with panic attacks and depression. And now I'm able to go and see an analyst and go to another level of dealing with that things. But my analyst is a Hegelian analyst. So now I'm having to learn how to live within this contradiction and seeing the contradiction and the things above the truth and realize that I still live within those things that can change humanity, change the communities. But as long as we hold on to these identities and think, well, my identity is the most important thing, then all of a sudden, when your identity is the most important thing, you're saying the other people's identities are less. Um, even if it's just saying all our identities except for straight white, straight white males are, are important, except for the straight white male, then you're saying the straight white male's identity is less. You know, what it's saying is, is how do we humanize one another and how do we see pain as a great equalizer? I like Jennifer says that would be nice, but I don't think it will happen. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I'm glad that you're just dashing my hopes. It's going to happen. 
might not happen in our lifetime, but it's going to happen because I believe in this message. I believe in theology. I believe in pyrotheology, which Pete uh, is a big proponent of. I believe in the teachings of Christ. I believe in the teachings of Hegel, and I think we have to work hard to do it. And I believe I am going to do everything I can in my lifetime, not just going on Facebook, but going to community, continuing to write books, make documentaries, and make films that promote this idea to make the world a safer place for one another. We have to do it. Or what we're going to see is we are going to see a war and we are going to see people killing each other in communities, separating communities. You're going to see a church that no longer exists in the United States or in other countries if we do not do what we need to. If we are not willing to die to ourselves, die to our identities in order to see the other's experience and to love the other. I am not a hippie, I'm a punk. And that's why I think this is going to happen. Sorry, hippies, but... <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful. You know, it also says, Love never demands its own way. And I, I, I love that in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, says that, and I'm going to turn over there since I, so I can read it to you. I jumped ahead of because I... I'll, all my scriptures are memorized in the New Living, and I use the NRSV now, so that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> so how I say it and then how I read it is going to be probably a little bit different. Um, love is patient. See, and here's the thing. Paul lays this out. We hear it in weddings all the time. 1 Corinthians 13 is not just about marriage or weddings or things like that. I mean, it's not really about romantic love, to be honest with you. But I'm in hell. I had it read at my first marriage, um, in my first wedding. Um, but it says, love is patient and love is kind. You know, so why would you need to be patient unless there was something that was making it hard to take? We are literally called, if you want to subscribe to Christianity, this is what I'm going to say. You can't say these people aren't welcomed here. You can't say that you're better than other people. You can't draw a land in, line in the sand. You really even shouldn't be able to say these people can't take communion because I disagree with that. You really shouldn't be able to say these people can't be members of our church. I think that's bullshit. You know, I think those are man's rules and human rules. And so I'm going to say that love is patient. It's there. It's kind. Love is kind. Now, there are going to be talk people who seem toxic to us, but we also have to realize that toxic people are hurt people, and they have a lot of walls set up. They're set in their ways, but those people also deserve love, and those people require us to be patient. Now, this is where I'm going to hit you really hard with this, is when the Bible says, die to your flesh, it's saying, pick up your cross die daily, it's saying, love your enemy. And your enemy is usually someone that you're probably going to, like nowadays everybody's labeled toxic if we don't agree with them, is going to be someone who you've labeled toxic. Now, I'm not saying you have to go be best friends with these people. That's not possible. I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not delusional. But what I'm saying is maybe pray for them from afar. Maybe find out a good book and recommend a good book to them. You know, maybe say, hey, you should meet with my friend Jay, or hey, you should meet with my friend Beth, uh, or, you know, hey, you should meet with Jennifer, or Billy, Bob, Joe, Don, whoever. 
you know. But the point is, is we are called to suffer a little bit. Life is mostly suffering. But when we suffer for others and give hope to others, I mean, I would imagine like, you know, you're saying like, oh, I can't stand these closed-minded people who are so anti-LGBTQ and stuff like this. You know, I, t- I always say to my gay brothers and sisters, if you have the strength to do it, love them. Kill them with kindness. And I don't mean kill them, but kill the toxicity within them. Make them have the second thoughts. Make them lay in bed at night and think, am I doing the right thing? We never know what words are going to make a difference. We never know what kindness and what action is going to change someone's life and, and, and flip them around. I've seen it happen so many times. I've seen it happen here, folks. So I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods. What I'm trying to do is be passionate enough to hopefully encourage you to live this in a reality because right now we don't meet in a building. We meet here online. So we don't have like a real big in-person community. But we have this gathering where we're getting together and you're all over the world. And what I'm saying is, is take this to wherever spot you're at and practice it. Or maybe you're saying, I can't. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. You know, I'm kind of going to therapy. Well, then go through the therapy and go, hey, this is one of my goals is to be able to argue well with others, to be able to disagree with others and not feel like, because I used to be a people pleaser. Never when I spoke, but in personal relationships for many, many years, most of my life, I was a people pleaser and I avoided conflict at every corner. And I will tell you right now, my last marriage was completely fell apart because of that. I was afraid to have the tough decision, make to have the tough conversations. I avoided the conflict. I tried to please her and make her happy, so I sacrificed who I was, and I became someone else, and I was so depressed and such a shell of a human being at the end, she was a shell of a human being at the end, that we had no more love to give, no more fight to give, because we were so hurt, because we were stuck in a people-pleasing situation. And right now, unfortunately, sometimes there's a lot of people, especially on social media, that say, if you don't think the way I think, You'll be canceled. You'll be done. If you question my belief system, if you question my way of thinking, if you question uh, uh, my convictions, then you're done. You have to go with the way I think. You know, the church used to do it for years. Now it feels like we've got the church doing it and we've got the the non-church doing it. We've got the conservatives doing it. We've got the liberals doing it. We've got the woke doing it. And we've got the non-woke doing it. You know, everybody has these like rules and regulations. And so now people pleasing becomes almost a, a survival instinct of if I, if I don't say this or I don't do this, I won't survive or I won't have any followers online or people will discommunicate me. And now me trying, you know, being a small, tiny public figure, even I get scared of the sometimes speaking out and saying things that are true or that are hard truth that are getting through to people or disagreeing with somebody who might seem right on to everybody else. But I go, well, what, have you ever thought about it this way? You know, and worried that I would get canceled because I say those things. So now it's not even people pleasing just to avoid conflict. It's people pleasing to stay alive sometimes it feels like. And that's why I think cancel culture is, 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 uh, is, is the biggest toxic trait there can be. And I also believe that when Paul says, be careful of biting, devouring, and destroying one another, and becoming consumed with one another, I think that's what consumed by one another is what he is saying about that type of culture. I grew up at my whole, I watched my parents have the biggest church in the world make mistakes 
and they were canceled by Christians, and then the non-Christians jumped in and made fun of them and said all this shit, and then everybody canceled them. They got canceled. That's why I don't like cancel culture. I'm still, to this day, I'm their son. I'm 45. That stuff happened 30 years ago. I'm still dealing with the sins of my family, some genuine, some not, but I'm still experiencing the cancel culture from 1987. You know, I'm like, my dad did five years in prison. You know, is that okay? My mom's dead. But yet you still want to come and tell me how horrible my mom is or how horrible my father is because he believes the world's going to end. You know, whatever. I, I don't believe in the same way he believes, but I don't think the world's in a great place right now, to be honest with you. So maybe he just is, is seeing it in a different way. I'm not going to sell you food buckets, but, you know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll all be like, hey, maybe we should go out to Jim's place. Not sure. 1 Corinthians 13, yeah, okay, here's somebody just said, my guy is shocked that I'm following a baker. But why? Because it's my parents? Because I'm the son of two people. So this is what cancel culture does to folks, people. It destroys not only the people, it destroys the family, it is destructive, and it is anti-grace. And that's why grace is like anarchy, because it comes in and goes, I don't care about your cancel culture. I don't care if it's politically correct or not. I don't compare about what your religion is. I don't compare, can you care about what it is. Anarchy comes in and says, you are accepted. You are accepted by that, which you cannot understand. You are accepted, period. And it doesn't matter what culture tells you you're not. You are accepted because grace is anarchy, and no system can hold grace. No system has a corner on grace. Here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, it does not, love does not insist on its own way. Could you imagine if we literally followed that and said, love does not insist on its own way and go back to what I was saying earlier about how people join churches or how people do this or if they're allowed to be staff or they're allowed to be members. And all of a sudden we're like, well, you know, we're, uh, we're a Corinthians 13 church, so... Yeah, we're not really going to demand anything of you. If you want to join the church, join the church. That's great, you know. Do I have to tithe? Nope, we're not going to demand anything of you. You're just you're part of the body, you know. We're going to try to work together and hopefully disagree well because that's going to be part of life because we're human beings and we all have had different issues and different experiences, but maybe we can learn a lot about one another. I mean, that's why we read books and why we see films and why we listen to music is because, we one, we can relate to some of those things. But two, we learn and see things that we've never seen before. About, oh, I've never thought about it that way, or I've never seen that way. We get a different perspective. But I'm telling you, you don't just need books and fiction and movies and music and plays to do that. You can do it by having human experiences and by having friends and family. Families, man. Family, you're going to get the biggest thing. Family is so weird. It's like, hey, we're all together. We're family, and we all have to go through this together, and it's so weird. And... You know, you go like, why don't I talk to my dad? Well, then I look back at my dad's life and I look back at his dad and see how his father handled him and how his mother handled him. And I go, okay, well, my parent was a much better parent than his parents were. He wasn't a great parent to me, but he was better than that. And now I'm going, I'm a much better dad than my dad was, you know, because I've had to learn from that. It's not the perfect system, but we have to learn, we have to grow, and we evolve through these type of things. Um, I hope that there is no topic that becomes taboo in the church um, and that we can help each other and encourage one another that they're in a place where we can not, that they're not threatened 
even when we ask questions because we've got to learn things from each other. There are certain people in different communities that I want to learn things from, you know, and I don't want to be afraid or seem, you know, or I don't want to seem ignorant. I don't mind, you know, I don't want to seem judgmental or like, or like a racist or sexist or heterosexist by asking certain questions. But some of these questions, it would be nice to be answered. So I go, oh, because I want to give an answer to somebody else who's maybe talking about off the cuff. I go, well, actually, my friend who is that and going through that explained it to me. You see, we, 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 I want to know more, you know, about that community. So when I'm hearing other people talk about it, I can talk about it. It's tough, too, because a lot of these communities, when they say, we want you to be allies, they come in as allies, and there's a lot of rules and regulations. But what I found out is in different, even in the same communities who, who, who have these different rules and regulations, they change from maybe state to state, even some from group to group. And so, I, honestly, I don't even know if I'm comfortable with the term ally anymore as I am with the friend. If I want to be a friend to a community, I want to be a part of a community, I want to be a friend to a community and learn how to have a conversation, but I also need to be accepted for the fact that I don't know everything and that there's times I might mean stupid things and you know, I'll do my best to apologize and, and learn from those mistakes. But, um, but any community that's bringing you in and says what well, we expect you to do A, B, C, or D is tough. And the reason I say it's tough is because that's what I experienced from the church and it never felt like a graceful place. It never felt like a welcoming place that said, oh, well, you've got to come in and act this way. Oh, Jesus loves you just the way you are. You're free. But now that you've accepted Jesus, you've got to do A, B, C, D, and E. And you go like, oh, okay. And then you live and you feel like you're a fraud. You know, I, 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 I almost wish that people could look back at the mistakes that the church has made over the past few hundred years, and especially in the past 30, 40 years, and go, all right, we're setting up a community. We have a group, and we're working towards this. Look at all the pain that the church has caused. Why did it cause that? Oh, because they had all these rules and regulations and these situations that no one could follow, and then when they screwed up, they got kicked out. Okay, so maybe that's not how we should run things because what that does is seem to harm a lot more people and cause a lot more people to feel outcasts. And there's just a lot of people who feel hurt and lonely and are sitting in their houses by themselves arguing with each other online. And online is owned by millionaires who have no concept of what we're going through but just give us a platform to stay divided. But what we could do is take these platforms and say, we're not going to do that anymore. It's not going to be divided. We're going to have good conversations. We might have tough conversations, but we're not going to cancel each other. We're not going to throw each other under the bus. We're not going to be horrible and say horrible, cruel things to people. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I had to block a lot of on my, my, my Facebook. I had to block responses for such a long time. Still am, kind of, blocking people able to make responses because they say such things, hor say, say horrible things about my parents and even my mom, which is really tough because I miss my mom. She's dead and she's gone. And I'll go look at these people. Some are evangelical Christians and some are super progressive woke liberals saying, doing the, saying the same horrible things. It's like, how is this what brings you together is a hate and a judgment towards a particular person? What is that? It's something that a lot of communities don't get to see is they see the two to see the conservatives and the liberals come together to be horrible.
Some, usually one side's green with you and the other side's being horrible. I get to see both sides being horrible and it's, it shocks me. It's weird because I look at somebody's page and I go like, this person could be me. Except for the fact that they hate my family. And then I have to you know, say, but who I am and the essence of who I am and the work that I do was built and given to me, the foundation was built and given to me by those people that are so misunderstood by those people that though no one else had the same experience with that I did because I was there and I lived in it. I'm not just living in it based on what I read in the newspaper or did anything like that. I'm their actual son, not just a fan or not just an enemy. You know, I'm their blood. Now, I'm not saying poor me. I'm fine with that. I'm saying this is just to kind of give you an idea that I'm not just speaking off the cuff as like, this is just a suggestion and a thought and an idea and I think you all should do it as the white straight male. You know, like I'm a white straight male and I've got some great ideas, so here, take it. You know, no, I'm saying like, I, like my last week, if you listened to last week's servant, I talked about unsuccessfully killing myself. You know, I had electric shock therapy done for quite a few weeks. I lost my memory. I couldn't think. A friend of mine was telling me the other day, he's like, he remembered picking me up in the car, saying I was trying to get out of the moving car because I was so out of it. I was terrified half the time because I didn't know where I was. I couldn't remember if I've eaten, what I could. I couldn't drive. I remember driving around town. All of a sudden, I had to have somebody come find me because I wasn't supposed to get my car, but somehow I found my keys during this electric shock therapy where they just shoot you with bolts of electricity to try to make you better. Pain is pain. You know, the only reason I'm alive is because I got my stomach pumped in an ambulance and I woke up in the hospital. And the reason I want to say this stuff is I'm just trying to say that this just isn't a hypothesis. This isn't just an educated guess. This is me saying, this is where we are. This is where I've been. I've been there. I want to go through this with you. I feel like I'm a leader who can help encourage you to walk that way. And now, in fact, I won't lead you there. I'll walk there with you because I need to learn from you just as much as you need to learn from me. Sorry, I'm in Belfast. It's 7 o'clock. I'm tired. I've already been doing this thing an hour, and I didn't even give you my last verse. I hope we can make allowance for each other's faults. I hope we can realize that we're all a community of outcasts. We've just been outcasted for different reasons. And uh, if we are a community of outcasts, what do we expect? Well, let's hopefully we won't outcast each other. So no wonder we need the message of grace. Because we don't only need grace for ourselves, which we desperately need, but we need grace for others. I'm going to leave you with, with uh, John 13, 34. And Jesus has said, I'm going to give you guys a new commandment. He's talking to his disciples right before he's about to be crucified. And uh, he goes, I want you guys to love each other. Because I really want you to love one another. And at the end he goes... And think about Corinthians 13, what that was saying about love, never demanding its own way, keeping no record of when it's been wronged, never giving up, never losing faith, always being hopeful. And my favorite part about that Corinthians 13 is, and endures through every circumstance. And then Jesus, I want you guys to love each other, really love each other, 
And he's saying this is a new commandment. To them, they, they're going like, this is not a new commandment. You've said this like a million times. Um, so I like the fact that Jesus kind of preached like me sometimes. He just says the same thing over and over again and thinks it's new. Because um, I want you guys to love each other, really love each other. And then he says, he ends with this. He goes, but the world will know that you are mine, that you are my followers by your love for one another. That is the sure sign. So if we are a diverse community of diverse looking, thinking, sexuality, race, and think, you know, and thought, which I think is very important, is this diversity of thought coming together, of outcasts coming together, and we can learn to love each other, not agree all the time. I love my family, and I don't agree with them. I love Pete Rollins, and I don't agree with him all the time, okay? Most people I love, I don't agree with all the time. I think if I did, I would be bored. Um, but saying like, if we can show the world that we can love each other and disagree and disagree well, we may be able to give hope to the world. It really seems impossible, but it actually might be quite amazingly easy if we can do it. Like it might be something that's just really cool that shows people, I mean, it might not be easy on us individually, but it might be something where people go, oh, I need to be a little bit more patient. I'm not the only one suffering. I'm not the only one whose community is dying. I'm not the only one who's going through poverty. I mean, I'm honest, guys. I'm, I, I, I live in a very, very poor <laughs> neighborhood, <laughs> and it's really tough. You know, I don't talk a lot about that, but that's just the reality of where my life is right now. Um, but I want best for my kids, and I hope I can do more for my kids, and I hope I can maybe move into a nicer apartment and do things like that as well. So, listen, I, I'm going to get on here later uh, this evening and, and talk to some of you folks who've left some really great comments. I'm just so tired, and I'm in Belfast that I think we're going to go eat because I didn't eat all day for some stupid reason. And so I'm going to go grab a bite to eat, uh, probably at a pub, <laughs> probably fish and chips because that's what I've been really wanting, and no one's given it to me yet. So I'm probably going to go get some fish and chips and enjoy the rest of my time here and continue working on uh, this wonderful new project that uh, me and my Belfast friends are preparing for the world, which I think will be really cool. Um, so love you all. And what a joy it is to talk to you from Belfast, Northern Ireland, a place that really feels like home to me. And I love the people here. Um, you know, like that kind of like salt of the earth human people, you know, where it's just... To me, it's like I talk to people in their 70s. I talk to people in their 20s. I talk to people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, you know. And they're just salt of the earth. And, and it's strange that some of these people I'm talking to and, and, and just having such an amazing time with at one point wanted to destroy each other's lives and kill each other. And we're in so much pain. And there's still pain there, but there's a lot of grace. I think why I like Belfast is there's a lot of grace, and I don't even know if Belfast realizes how much grace it has in it. And I think that's the powerful thing about this town. And I think I just realized it now, as when I said it, is that Belfast is a place of grace, a grace indeed. Thank you so much. Hey, if you like what we do, you can go to revolutionchurch.com slash donation and make a donation, and it helps keep us being able to do this kind of stuff and um, do community stuff and hopefully get a place to play and pay our bills and 
all that good stuff and I can pay my bills and take care of my kids and be a pastor and this is a job I really love and don't take lightly and I love you all very much I'm grateful for you thank you so much have a great great week next time I'll see you from Seattle Washington Seattle USA bye bye listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.